Hey, great podcast today. You don't want to miss a second of this podcast. We talk about critical race theory with people who are actually doing something about it. Senator Josh Hawley is on to talk about high tech and its tyranny and so much more on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. TV, I did a uh, Wednesday night special based on the three biggest lies of race in America. Where we're going is just um, phenomenally bad. I mean, it's historically bad. You can you can find the examples of what we're doing at the beginning of every every genocidal movement in the world. Now, it doesn't have to end that way. But this is the way they started. So we were talking about race and in education, et cetera, et cetera. And Mark Robinson is a guy who, you know, I think you've heard before. Let me play a clip of where you might know him from. This is a YouTube clip. He's standing in front of, I think it was his city council. Listen, what I really came down here for is this. Uh, I've heard a whole lot of people in here talking tonight about this group and that group and domestic violence and blacks, these minorities and that minority. What I want to know is, when are you all going to start standing up for the majority? And here's who the majority is. I'm the majority. I'm a law-abiding citizen who's never shot anybody, never committed a serious crime, never committed a felony. I've never done anything like that. But it seems like every time we have one of these shootings, Nobody wants to blame, put the blame where it goes, which is at the shooter's feet. You want to put it at my feet. You want to turn around and restrict my right, constitutional right that's spelled out in black and white. You want to restrict my right to buy a firearm and protect myself from some of the very people you're talking about in here tonight. It's ridiculous. I don't think Rod Serling could come up with a better script. It does not make any sense. The law-abiding citizens of this community and many communities around this country, we're the first ones taxed and the last ones considered and the first ones punished when things like this happens because our rights are the ones that are being taken away. That's the reason why. This was an amazing viral video. Mark, in case you lost track of him, as I did, has now become the lieutenant governor of North Carolina. He was a factory worker when he gave that speech a couple of years ago. He's now the lieutenant governor of North Carolina. Mark, welcome to the program. How are you, sir? Hey, Glenn. Thank you for having me again. It's a pleasure. You you bet. Uh, I am so impressed with you. Uh, but let me let me just pretend I don't know. Uh, and if, see if you could explain to those listeners who don't know what a lieutenant governor actually does. Can you tell me the responsibilities? I am. Uh, well, actually, I'm the president of the Senate. That's my number one responsibility. I preside over the Senate uh, in, okay. its, uh, in its daily duties. Uh, I uh, sit on the state school board. I'm a voting member of the state school board. I sit on the Energy Oof. Commission. Uh, I also sit on the uh, State Economic Commission as well as the uh, Board of Governors uh, for the community colleges. Uh, other than that, uh, we kind of uh, do sort of what we want to do here. We have a huge bully pulpit, and we are using that uh, to our advantage here to push some agendas 
that we think definitely need to be pushed here in North Carolina. Man, I don't know if you're a religious guy, but uh, divine providence, I think, played a role uh, in finding you. So let's talk about what you're doing in the schools as, you know, a voting member of the uh, the school board. You are addressing indoctrination, which is happening all across the country. Um, and parents, some parents, I am really concerned about this. And we don't really know what to do because sometimes we had in our own community here right down the street, we had two uh, council uh, members and uh, and uh, uh, you know uh, directors of the school board arrested because they were hiding the information on cl- critical race. W- what are you doing in North Carolina that we should know about? Well, uh, you know, indoctrination in schools is something that I've known about for years. Uh, my children experienced it when they were in high school. Uh, my, uh, I've experienced it uh, and seen it firsthand at the university level. I attended the university for the most part as an adult, and I saw it a great deal uh, when I was, uh, when I was uh, attending the university. And um, so we know it's a problem. And all throughout our campaign, we heard about it from parents and teachers uh, all across the state. And so uh, the one thing that folks always push back against us and say, well, where's your proof that this exists? Well, we are in the process now of proving that. Uh, we started a task force here in North Carolina in our office called uh, FACT. And FACT stands for Fairness and Accountability in the Classroom for Teachers and Students. And what, is, what it's uh, aimed at doing is giving people who have been a victim of indoctrination in the classroom or at schools, no matter what their position may be, whether they be a principal, whether they be a teacher, whether they be a student, whether they be a parent, a place where they can come and lodge, lodge their complaints. We're going to look at those complaints, uh, disseminate them, and then we're going to make sure uh, that we deliver these things to the public and finally start the process of doing something about uh, this issue. This is not just a North Carolina issue. This is a national issue. And for my money, it has become a national crisis because we are no longer teaching our children what they need to learn in the classroom to be successful outside of the classroom. We have got to get education back into the business of education and out of the indoctrination platform. And so this is the first step in doing that. We're only teaching them how to be activists. We're not teaching them to be productive members of society, just activists. That's it. Absolutely. Uh, so that, that, you have who's on this board, this facts board, and and how, I mean, because people are afraid to come out and say anything. I know several parents that don't want to say anything because they're afraid their students are going to get hassled, you know, by the teacher or in grades or whatever. Um, that happens in college all the time. Students are afraid to disagree because there is no real freedom of speech and thought. In the place where it's supposed to happen, most definitely, it's important that it happens in education. Absolutely. That is, that is one of the most concerning things about this issue is there are people that are afraid to speak out. But we have 12 people on our board, 12 uh, very capable people on our board who, have, who are willing to fight this thing and have been fighting it, some of them, for a number of years. But what I'd like to try to remind people about being afraid is this. If you do not speak up against this tyranny now, it's not going to do you any good in the future. You're still going to have to suffer the dreadful effects of this tyranny at some point. And I can guarantee you, if we allow this tyranny to continue to exist, 
the price we will have to pay in the long term is going to be much steeper than the price we'll have to pay in the short term for standing up and bringing it to an end. So I'm encouraging people to speak up because there's going to be a price to pay either way. But again, that long-term price is going to be much more dreadful than the short-term price. I would encourage anybody who's in state government or even local government to look at facts uh, from North Carolina uh, and uh, just go to uh, ltgov.nc.gov, and I'm sure you'll find it there. Um, But I urge you to uh, consider putting something together like this for your um, community and you do have people from both sides and all sides that on this committee that understand the problem. So it's not just a, a right wing thing, right? Absolutely. There are people uh, from all across the community who are absolutely tired of our schools uh, being used uh, for political purposes. We need, again, we need to get back to the business of teaching our children what they need to know in order to be successful outside the classroom, to build businesses, to, to go into being doctors and lawyers, to be, to be plumbers, and, and all the great things that we need in our society. The classroom is not the place to push your views on people. The classroom is the place where you teach people how to build their own views, and uh, we, need to, we need to make sure that that's happening. Have you found a way, or, or by listening to people on the left, uh, I shouldn't say on the left, but, but think differently, um, how to talk to them about critical race theory? Because I know lots of people uh, are afraid of sitting down with somebody who they know, you know, voted for Biden, is in with a lot of this stuff, uh, to talk about critical race theory because it'll go right to racists. You know, it goes right there. How do they, how are they approaching this? How do they view critical race theory in schools? A lot. Well, critical race theory is being pushed in our schools, sadly. But the thing that we have to understand, and, and, and again, this goes back to education itself. We have to go back and look in history and look at other ideologies that were pushed, that were detrimental to our society. If you go back and look at the racist ideologies that were pushed in our in, in, in societies that had separate but equal and Jim Crow, many of them are the absolute. Uh, they're absolutely just like the ide- the ideologies we see in critical race mm. theory. Except instead of it being uh, white people who were racist, it were black. It was black people being demonized. And so mm-hmm. this ideology that we have to demonize someone else in order to uh, raise. Uh, to raise the mobility of someone else is a fallacy. We do not do that in this nation. Equality is the key. And critical race theory flies in the face of equality because it tells white people you are automatically less than because you are white. That's not what we're supposed to be doing anymore than we're supposed to be telling black people that they're less than because they're black. We need to be teaching all of our students that you have equal worth and an equal say in this nation and that this racist idea that because your ancestors did something uh, terrible to someone else, that it's now your fault. It's just, it's patently wrong. Uh, you know, I like to say it like this. Uh, they love to say that our systems are racist. Our systems are not racist. It's not the systems that are racist. It are, mm-hmm. It's some of the people who are in the system who are racist. We need to make sure that we're taking care of the people, and we need to make sure we allow the system to work like it should. Critical race theory doesn't allow us to do that, and therefore we need to make sure that it's not us. Uh, a part of what we teach in our schools. 
The lieutenant governor from North Carolina um, talking about facts, uh, the facts program for school indoctrination or against school indoctrination. You can find more information at the website, uh, ltgov.nc.gov. You can follow him at Mark Robbins, uh, Mark Robin, uh, NC. Mark Robinson, thank you so much. God bless yes, you. Yes, sir. Thank you very much for having me again, Glenn. It's a pleasure. You bet. Uh, by the way, uh, there are other groups that, for instance, they're partnering uh, with Parents Defending Education, and they are just trying to connect parents and teachers um, while taking aggressive legal measures to resist indoctrinations uh, in our schools. So you you do have tools, and I urge you to get involved. Parents Defending Education. Or, um, you know, you can look up Mark Robinson uh, if you're in North Carolina or in another state and you actually have an ability to start something in your state like this. Do it now. The best of the Glenn Beck program. So we have been talking about the loss of property rights, patent rights. Uh, let's talk about the loss of your right to speak freely, uh, to gather uh, with people that you, um, you know, agree with, to petition the government. All of these things are going away, and a lot of them are going away because of what Senator Josh Hawley calls the tyranny of big tech. We welcome the uh, senator. Uh, from Missouri to the program. Hello, Senator Holly. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You bet. Um, you know, the news of the last couple of days has been how Facebook, Twitter, they're just going to continue to ban Donald Trump. Uh, and they're saying because he was part of that giant insurrection, the worst attack on our republic since the Civil War. Yeah, you know, I it, don't think that's why they're banning him go ahead yeah no it's uh, why they're banning him is they don't like his speech and they're banning him and can get by with it glenn because they're monopolies and all of their customers and consumers have nowhere else to go because there's no competition so you think about well my gosh i don't like what facebook's doing where would i go what platform would i go to that would be different than facebook and have different rules the answer is nowhere because Facebook is a monopoly and they are actively buying up competition and suppressing new entrants in the market. Ditto with Twitter. We saw a parlor, a competitor to Twitter, try to try to get off the ground earlier this year. And what happened back in January? Well, Twitter and Amazon and Apple and Google got together and canceled parlor within the space of like 48 hours. So these right. are monopoly companies with monopoly power over speech. And we've got to do something about it. So one of the things you've written a, a new book um, called The Tyranny of Big Tech, and I think this is the one thing I'm glad you're dealing with it. I mean, there's a lot of big talk in the Senate, but I don't see anybody actually going for the throat of people um, and doing anything, proposing anything that actually will change and release the chokehold they have. Uh, part of it, I think, is because of money, but I think also part of it is they are so incredibly powerful because of the information that they have. Uh, why is it we can't get our government to move on them? Well, I think part of that is because big tech has purchased so much influence 
in Washington and on Capitol Hill. They have spent a decade or more purchasing lobbyist influence and think tank influence and academic influence and and uh, influence on congressional staffs in terms of staffers that they recruit to come join them. You know, it's really, it's really, really extraordinary. And you see how they really doubled down in this last election, dumping money into the Biden-Harris campaign. I mean, you talk about trying to buy access to the White House. These companies have done it. And that's one of the reasons why mm-hmm. the, the Democrats right now are delighted with the power of big tech. They love, they sure. secretly love the monopoly status because these companies will censor in a way the government couldn't. And the Democrats want them to do that and they want them to do more of it. They, they politic all the time for them to do more of it. Uh, it and it is, it is terribly frightening. I think they don't want Donald Trump uh, back online because they know he can draw a crowd. And you you don't want anyone who can unite the other side. They're too busy dividing. You can't have somebody that can unite and bring a coalition that can actually stand against uh, this this movement uh, from the left. No, that's that's exactly right. It's an effort to silence on big tech's part, an effort to silence voices of opposition with whom they disagree and who represent a contrary view. You see that you saw them do it. Back in the fall, when they tried to suppress reporting on Hunter Biden and Joe Biden locking the New York Post out of their account on Twitter, Facebook, yep. not allowing the story to be circulated and distributed. I mean, you talk about a brazen intervention in a presidential election. I mean, trying to influence and stop the news during a presidential election. And then even more so in January, of course, where they deplatformed the former president, where they kicked bunches of conservatives off of, off of Twitter and, and Facebook and these platforms and uh, where they canceled Parler. I mean, so this is real power, Glenn. This is monopoly power. And to your point about what we're going to do about it, we've got to break these companies up. We, we cannot try and go along to get along. You've got to break these companies up. And you've also got to give American citizens the right to go to court and to sue these companies if they take action against them based on political viewpoint. That's my view. Give Americans the power to go to court, break up these companies. I'd like one more thing. They're making all this money because of all the information they're gathering on us. Who I am, what I do belongs to me, not to them. Just because they have given me a device that allows them to follow me, I really don't like the power that they have of following me, monitoring me, uh, analyzing me, predicting me. Uh, no, thank you. I'd like to opt out on that. And if you want to sell my information as I opt in, you can do that and you'll get a slice of it. But so will I. That's right. And, you know, these companies, their business model is built on taking our data and our personal information without our consent, to your point, Glenn, and then selling it or monetizing it without our permission. And without any say from us of any kind, and I agree with you 100%, individuals ought to be able to control their own information. It is private property. It's our private property. In the same way, families, parents ought to be able to control their kids' information. These tech companies track your kids around. They build dossiers in your kid. I say this as a parent of three small children. You know, this is crazy, creepy stuff that they currently get by with, and we've got to stop it. We've got to give people control again over their own property, over their own data. So I'm very libertarian in my views of, of business, and I have really wrestled with two things. In the past, I have wrestled with the, quote, robber barons. Many of those guys were not robber barons. Um, some of them were. And I've always wondered, when you amass so much wealth and power, 
uh, how do you how do you stop that from uh, from affecting everyone or infecting everything? Uh, and the only way that I can come up with that I'm comfortable with is you, you cannot lobby laws. The law and the government must be completely separate and blind from corporations. But I don't think that's possible. How do you stop the because these I think you would agree with me. The people like Zuckerberg will be remembered as really bad robber barons taking from people getting rich and then doing what they want in many times against the interest of the people. That's certainly how they're behaving now, Glenn, there's no doubt about it. And I think when you look at, at American history, where we draw the line, those of us, especially who believe in free markets, who believe in free competition and who believe in capitalism, where we draw the line is to say, you know, we, we want people to be successful. You bet. We want businesses to be successful. Yes, we do. What we do not want to see though is a business amass a bunch of market power and then use it to suppress competition and use it yes. to suppress innovation and use it to try and control the political process, which is what we're seeing from these tech companies. That's, I think, where we need to draw the line. I mean, in my view is, is that breaking up monopolies reinforces the market because it introduces new competition. So I'd like to see more competition. I'd like to see more businesses. I'd like to see more yeah. choice for consumers out there and if we had more competition, these guys would have less power. But right now, the amount of power they have is frightening. I will tell you that in your book, you talk about the Apple App Store. And you're absolutely right. I remember the first time I wanted to put an app on there. And I realized they take, I can't even remember what it is, some obscene amount of money, like 30% of everything. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what? And there's no negotiation. They tell you exactly how the app has to run. They tell you everything about your own business. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a company that's completely out of control. And look how yeah, much exactly. money they're getting because they're the only option. They're the only option. Is the Apple tax, the, the, the infamous Apple tax that you just referenced, yeah. you're right. And what they also usually do is, you know, with your, let's say your app, for instance, Glenn, then they take all of your data about your customers. Yes. So Apple says, yes. you got to give us everything, you know, give right. us all of the info. It's crazy. It's really bad. So you, the, the name of the book, we're talking to Senator Josh Hawley about his new book, uh, The uh, Tyranny of Big Tech. Um, it's my understanding that Simon & Schuster actually had this book, and we can talk for hours about simon and schuster i just ended my 10-year prison sentence with these people um uh, uh because they had a hostile takeover and they just just eliminated any conservative in that company um but you had a contract with them on this book what happened well they canceled it i mean this is the book is all about how big tech is trying to control our politics and trying to control free speech and then big tech uh, teamed up uh, with this corporate publisher to try to cancel this very book. I mean, you talk about irony. But Simon & Schuster originally commissioned the book, and then in January, uh, following uh, January 6th, uh, Simon & Schuster turned around and said, oh, we're going we're to try to deplatform Holly. We're going to cancel this book. They accused me of helping incite a riot at the United States Capitol, which is totally and 100% false. And by the way, they know it's false. But what they did is bow down to the, the big t tech uh, Twitter mob. You had a big a Twitter a uh, petition that started that said, deplatform Holly, cancel his book contract, take this away, silence him. And uh, Simon & Schuster got right in there with them. 
you know, I'm grateful that there's still independent businesses and independent uh, publishers in this company. So my book, it was not canceled. It's available now. And I just said, Glenn, my view is this. With this cancel culture, you've got to go out and take a stand and refuse to be canceled. And that's what I said at the time. I am not going to go along with this. I, I refuse to be cowed. I refuse to be silenced. I refuse to be canceled. I'm going to keep speaking whatever forum I can. And, and I'm glad that the book found its way to print. Yeah, good for you. Uh, again, the name of the book is um, the uh, the tyranny of big tech. One last question I can't leave out. You, I love you for this. You tie Woodrow Wilson into uh, big tech and really kind of point to him as kind of the guy of the modern oligarchy. Uh, and I think that's really what we're headed for is a is an oligarchy where these guys are in bed with the government, the government's in bed with the big businesses and they're controlling everything and we just go along. Um, and it, it is really difficult because at the time it seemed as though it was a socialist movement, a communist movement. Progressives said, we're going to take it step by step because we don't believe in the bloody revolution of 1917. But it's not. It is really an oligarchy, and I think that's becoming very, very clear to people now on both the left and the right. Yeah, Wilson, I think, really begins this, begins this trend of, of embracing corporate power and monopoly power. He's also our first globalist president in many ways, uh, someone who wanted, to, wanted the United States to become a, a liberal empire. Uh, uh, worldwide and and wanted the United States to to be to enmesh its economy with the global economy. And so there's, you know, the globalists tend to love Wilson. And there's a real reason for that. And Wilson, I think, begins this this trend in American politics. He ushers in a new era in American politics where, you know, it's it's really sort of form corporatism, where you see these big, Mm -hmm. huge corporate behemoths. And the government says, well, you know, here's how we'll deal with them. We'll get big government and the big corporations together. And together, we'll kind of run things. You know, big mistake, big, big mistake. And this gets back to the Republican Party, conservatives, our roots in in free markets, in competition, in the rights of individuals and families. And that's what we've got to recover. And we've got to get back to a place where individuals have power over their own property. Individuals have a say and control over their own government and not these mass, not these oligarchs in Washington, D.C. or Silicon Valley. I'd love to talk to you more about this because you also put uh, Teddy Roosevelt, who I love and hate at the same time, uh, in his proper place on this. And that is the disease that permeated the GOP uh, and had the GOP kind of really pretty much going on the same line as the uh, progressive Democrat. Senator Josh Hawley, the author of the book, The Tyranny of Big Tech, an important book, small book and easy to read. The Tyranny of Big Tech. Josh Hawley, thank you so much. Appreciate it, Thanks for having me. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. We have a dear friend joining us now, really talented filmmaker, a guy who everybody says, yeah, you got to get into culture. He's actually doing it and making a big impact. He has changed Swedish uh, immigration policy, U.S. trade policy, education policy here in the country. He has been on ships, you know, tracking down jihadist pirates. I think he's a lunatic. But he's actually really, really smart and on our side. 
um, and he's just put a new video out. Uh, I'm going to play about a minute of it, but this is I'll tell you where to get it here in a second. This is worth watching and reposting and spreading in your network. It is Ami Horowitz on the streets of New York talking about the rich paying their fair share. So do you think that the poor pay a higher percentage of their income? Yes. Or the rich? They, they do pay a higher percentage the of their poor. income. Yeah, they do, yeah. Oh, the lower class, definitely. Pay more. Yeah. Lower income people. people. Poor people. So the 1% earn about 25% of all the income in America. So well, there you go. If we're talking about fair share, right. then, you know, if you're bringing in 25% of the income, 25% of the taxes should also That would be fair. Come, you know, I would think so, yeah. And would you be surprised if I told you that the top 1% pay 40% of all I taxes? Would be yeah. Would it surprise you if I said the rich, the 1%, pay 40% of all taxes in America? Interesting. Would surprise me. Yeah. Do they? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So a little, little more fair than you might have thought. Yeah. What percent of income do you think the top 1% pay? I think they're paying like freaking 2% of that. They're paying 27%. What? 27%. Ami Horowitz, welcome to the program. Amazing. It's How a are pleasure. You, and by the way, such a wonderful pleasure to be in a town where I don't have to wear a mask and get people yelling at me and screaming at me <laughs> and, oh and mask shaming me. That mm. is awesome. Yeah. Texas is, is a pretty awesome place to live. Uh, I can't imagine what it's like in New York. I was up in Connecticut a few weeks ago. We had a death in the family and I had to go up to Connecticut. And it was like a... F it, was, it was like... I thought Elon Musk had drugged me, put me into a spaceship, and he had already populated Mars, and it looked like Connecticut, but it was completely Martian. I, 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 the people there, it's a mental illness now. It, oh, it really it's is a mental illness. It's absolutely become mental illness. There's no, there's no question about it. No, I mean, look, most of these people are vaccinated, but they will wear, you, they, you will see them running in the park wearing masks. I saw, I saw a guy riding a horse wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm surprised right. he didn't put a mask on the horse. That's, um, I, <laughs> I would just like to point out, um, I've seen a lot of things in New York, but an exception of a cop, I've never seen anybody riding a horse in New York. No, there, there, are, there are horses in, uh, in Central Park. Yes, you can ride a horse. You can walk. You can walk. You can ride a horse in Central Park. It's true. You can ride a horse in Central. I mean, you rent it there, or do you have to bring your own horse? They 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 used to have these stables right off of Central Park. They've now kind of right. changed them, but they still have horses right. that you could you could rent out. <laughs> huh. They don't really run. They're just walking. But, yeah, because yeah. they're probably beaten to that. They're like, I can't live in this city one more day. I just can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. Where's uh, the glue factory, man? Right. So you were on the streets of New York and. I mean, one of the guys that you were talking to was full-fledged Marxist. Oh, yeah. And what was, what was shocking about this was how certain all of them were about facts that were completely untrue. And then uh, surprised, but not like embarrassed that they had it so wrong. You know, I actually, a lot of my videos are... Look, they're they're important, but they're dark because they're just they're I'm showing the underbelly of the left, right? And what they mm -hmm. actually believe. This video is a little more hopeful because as as certain as they were about faulty fa faulty facts about taxes, uh, which by the way, this is this is if you ask 
anybody on the left, right? They would they would say the same thing that these people on the video saw. Of course, the rich mm-hmm. pay more. Of course, the rich don't pay. I mean, the, the the poor pay more, and the rich don't pay their fair share. But the hopeful part of this video was when they were confronted with the facts, with the actual reality of what tax policy is, they reversed themselves and they said that actually does sound fair, right? And this is and and it's a hopeful video in the sense that. We are right on the facts, okay? We are right on the facts. And if we're able to get that out there, we could win this argument because let me tell you. Easily. The the class warfare issue is going to be the battle. We It's not going to be the race issue. The, and the race issue is really, when, when I spend a lot of time with BLM protesters, I start scratching the surface and, and presenting them with the facts, right, about how many people are actually killed unarmed by black people by white police officers. Right, right, they, right. They, they, will, they will accept that and poo-poo it, and they'll, then it'll switch to a class issue. Because ultimately, what is critical race theory? Critical race theory is simply a, a, a slight deviation from class theory yeah. of Marx. You have something, that, or you don't have something because this other class that happens to be white has it. Right. And the real battle is not going to be race. It's going to be class. And there is, you know, the studies have showed over and over again that a significant portion of youth in this country want communism. Not social democrat, not not to be social democrats like the Europeans. I'm talking about straight up Marxism, communism, the destruction of the free market. We it is not quite a majority or a polarity, but it's getting there. It's over 20%, 25%. I'll tell you this, Ami, um, you can see it. um, You can see people being able to rationalize it at some point as well, because the government has been so corrupt. They have done so much with, you know, in the last year, we've spent 19 trillion dollars. Where's that money? That's not going to the average person. That is going to giant corporations. It's going to graph. I mean, it's no one is actually feeling the impact of that. And when you start to see real inflation, you will look at the bank and go, you got all of that money from 2008. I got nothing. I got nothing. And you're going to start looking at these companies that are now lecturing us, Coca-Cola, on how we have to live our life, et cetera, et cetera, and what's good and what's bad. And you're just going to look at all of these people and say, you are my enemy. You are my enemy. And you'll put all people in that category, just like we do now. If you're a, a conservative, you're evil. If you're a liberal, you're a Marxist. It's not true, but that's the way human nature does it. And Marxism encourages it. Yeah, look, there's uh, there's no question. I think that the 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 lack of understanding, you know, and what, I guess Joe Biden must have gotten a tour of the Treasury building. And he goes, wait a second, we own the printing press? I can just print as much money as I want. <laughs> what? I mean, that's what it must have been like, right? What do we yeah. have? Ten trillion dollars in new spending? Trillion, ten trillion dollars. And that's your point. The point is, no regular person is going to feel that because our economy is too big. The country's too big. That even those kind of numbers don't really have an impact. And yes, and most of that money end up going through fraud and waste. And they're going to say, well. What happened? What happened to this money that we sent? And then, when when, you, of course, when the yeah. bill comes due and inflation hits, right? And then they're really going to feel it. And that's where they're going to say, what happened here? It is the the biggest uh, theft ever. And we've gone through somewhat. We've gone through some of this before. Not, you know, um, 
Marx believed that capitalism was evil and twisted and and was exactly what it has now become. And he, he so his idea of people rising up against the upper class is accurate if you are like the upper class appears to be and not all upper class i mean the institutionalized upper class is they are getting benefits that no one else is seeing uh and we've gone through it before i was with jay leno at his garage a few years ago and he has this beautiful bugatti it's this big old 1929 bugatti and my son ran up to it. He was little, and I think he had peanut butter on his hands. And I'm like, <laughs> don't do it. And uh, Jay was like, no, go on, sit in. That's what it's for. I mean, it was really crazy. Um, but as he was in touching everything and leaving jam prints over this Bugatti, <laughs> I, said to, uh, I said to Jay, uh, what a beautiful car. And he said, better story behind it than it is beautiful. He said that car was purchased in 1929 in New York by a guy who was head of an industry. He said um, he never drew, uh, never drove it. By the time he got it, it was too dangerous for him to be seen in the Bugatti. He said that car ended up, uh, they took it apart and they used it as a truck. They just completely took this amazing car away and used it as a truck. Because every time that car would be seen, it was class warfare. And you're a bad guy because you have that car. And by the way, today you're, That's scary. Today you're dressed like Jay as well. <laughs> There's a lot of denim going on. You're right. But, yeah, but, there is a lot of denim going on. Nothing and the white hair. That's right. <laughs> nothing scares me more than class warfare. Look, when you go to Europe, one of, the, one, of the, one of the many differences between Europeans and us is that the Europeans are jealous of people in the upper class. If you have a mm -hmm. if you have a beautiful car in London or in, or, or in, in Paris, oftentimes friends of mine who have those kind of cars, they get keyed because people are so disgusted that they have that kind of wealth. And I don't. And here, this country was so beautiful about it is we're aspirational. We look at people yeah. with beautiful cars and your thinking is not, I need, that. why does he have that car, not me? You think, I want that car. I'm gonna do what it takes to get that car or that house or wherever it is. And we are losing that beautiful aspirational part of our country because the left has engaged us in this damaging class warfare, which like I, I can't repeat it enough. It will be the battle for the next 10 years for the soul of this country more than any other issue that we're facing. It's the class warfare uh, issue that will, will either sink us or will take us ahead for the next hundred years. So let's, Let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, the whole idea of there will be an America that we all recognize in 10 years. Yeah, there will be in 10 years for sure. hundred uh, percent. There's so much gas in the tank from over the past few decades of success that they'll, they'll carry us for a decade or two. Having said that, it's the next 10 years which will decide the fate for the next 100 years. We'll know the answer in 10 years. We'll know the direction the country is going in, in 10 years. Of that, I have no doubt. In which direction we will go, it is up in the air and is up to us to fight for us to win that well, we bat know ideological which, battle. We know which direction the, the Biden administration is going to take us. Um, and that is into a whole new... Um, 
uh, kind of, I mean, they're, they're talking about resetting and doing, you know, getting rid of capitalism and into stakeholder capitalism, which is not capitalism. It's an oligarchy. So we know that they are on this path right now. And that, I mean, I think they've got a short time period to pull that off. They've got about two years unless they, they completely destroyed the election process by then. Yeah, one of the most um, insidious parts of the left is their changing of the language, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, their, de- their, their, their denuding of power from words, like racism is a meaningless word now, right? Um, and, and one of the things they've done, and if you've noticed it, that what, the word that the left used most often was equality, right? Yep. That was the buzzword. Of, and what have they changed it to? You are so right. Equity. 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 And what does that mean? There's a very specific meaning to, to their version of the word equity, which means ownership. And what it means is we have to get equal outcomes, right? What was equality? Equal opportunity. That is a disgusting notion to them now. Now they want equal outcome, and that's what equity gives them. Uh. 